Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. Hey, can we do one quick before? This, this team did an amazing job today. Would you give it up for the team? It is so nice. If you have never had the chance to meet uh, met, uh, Greg, Greg is our worship leader down at our South Augusta campus, our Sherwood campus down in, um, on the other side of town. So it's exciting to have him with us today. Man, I'm excited. We're in this series. Um, and I was thinking about something this past week, um, and it made me, and it drove me. We were talking about purpose. If you're uh, just a guest today, we've been talking about purpose over the last three weeks and the the greatest question and um, is really, you know, like, what on, our, what on earth am I here for? And I, I figured, like, we, we could go all different places, but I was going to go to the source of all sources um, to find out my purpose. So this morning, when I got here, I went to Siri. <laughs> and I asked this question, and I was going to try to get it up on the screen, because and, and maybe we can do it, uh, you can do it later, maybe not right now, but I did I, I, the, hey, Siri, and the first thing that happened was kind of, like, just kind of tells me about the times and went, huh? <laughs> Promise you, not, yes, sir, how can I help you? It was, huh? And so I was like, okay, can you tell me what, what is my purpose? And it came across, and this is what it said. I did not understand the question. And I went, neither do millions of other people. And they don't know the answer. So I tried it again. I said, what on earth am I here for? Well, what, 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 why, why was I put on this earth? And again, it said, I do not understand the question. And it made me think of a, a man, and I was reading about this guy named Bill Mallory this past a week reading about him, but he had gone on kind of a vision quest to try to find his purpose. Probably a lot like a lot of us in this room have tried to figure out what our purpose in God is and what our purpose on this earth is. And so he went all over Europe and he went to the, you know, the, uh, the, the Vatican and he went to all the religious organizations over there and he ended up in India and he, he found out that, that, that nobody knew the, the answer to the question, what on earth am I here for? So he came back to the States. And he lands in Atlanta airport and he gets on I-20 and he's heading back to where he lives. And all of a sudden he sees a sign and he looks down and he needs some gas. So he stops at Chevron and, and there's a sign as he's pulling into Chevron and it says this, while on your journey, ask any question. Okay. So he walks in and he goes to the, the person at the registry. He said, Hey, I'm going to ask any question. Here's my question. What's my purpose? And this is what the guy said. He said, I make minimum wage. I have no idea what your purpose is. Everywhere he went on his travels for the next year, he decided to go in Chevron's because they kept that little sign. That was their slogan. Kept asking and asking and asking and asking. And what he came to the conclusion is nobody in those places knew what the question was. So he decided to take it to corporate. So he wrote a long letter to corporate and he ended with this. You say you can ask, ask, ask any question. I'm assuming you haven't answered every question. What are, what's my purpose? What am I here for? And a couple of weeks later, he gets an envelope and he's so excited because he's finally going to get the answers to what his life purpose is. So he opens it up very slowly, and in it was an application for a credit card. <laughs> That's our purpose. You know what's funny? If you live in this world, you're not going to find your purpose at a gas station. You're not going to find your purpose watching a TV show or a podcast or even reading a book or going to a conference. And I believe sometimes you will not even find your purpose when you walk into this place. But if you want to find your purpose, why you are put on this earth, you have to go to the one that created you. That's the only person can tell your purpose. And if you don't have conversations with him directly, at least go to the owner's manual, the Bible, where it tells us about our purpose. 
All through lives, if we go and use that as our, as our, as kind of our, 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 our place that we go, we'll find our purpose. In the, in the word of God, this is what it says. Ephesians chapter two, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. He planned for us a long time ago. That's our purpose. He created us in his image. Revelation chapter 4, 11, I love this. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. He's pleased in us. Zephaniah says it in chapter 3, verse 17. It says, the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior, and I love this. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He delights over you. How many people in the room are parents? Raise your hands. Proud parents. Only half of you kept your hands up. <laughs> uh, parents, how many people, uh, when you had your kids, like, like, Love spending time, love, love hanging out with you. Like, there's like, there's something special about your kids, right? Like, even when they do stupid stuff, like, so I, I remember when my kids were born, they looked like lizards. But I loved them with everything that was in me. Anybody else? And they grew up and they stopped looking like lizards. They look like human beings now, and I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But do you, do you remember, do you remember that moment? Like if you have kids, you remember that moment? Maybe it was their first recital or maybe it was their first time they sang a solo in a vacation Bible school and how proud you were and you wanted to spend time with you. You loved them, you cared about them. And then they get a little older and they go on their first date and you love them a little bit at that point. And then they go on the prom or maybe if it's a boy, he hits the first home run. And you're just proud. You're just, you're, you're, you're in that moment and you love every, every little bit. And then, and then they, they graduate high school and then they graduate college and you're proud of them. You want to be with them. And then in my case, they get married and all three of my girls are going to be married by the end of this year. And you're just going, man, I love, I love what they've turned it. Like I'm proud of them. I, I'm, I'm honored to be called their dad. And then, you know, then all of a sudden your youngins start having babies and we found out we we're going to be grandparents. And so, like, it's one of those moments. Now I'm, I get another kid to spoil. And it's, it's, it's that moment where you go, I love, I love my kids. I love hanging out with them. I'm proud to, to be with them. And if you could just kind of twist that, that's how God feels about you. God loves hanging out with you. And some people don't understand that. God God, God was there when you were created in your mother's womb and he was honored to be a part of that process as he, he, he numbered every one of your, your hairs. He was honored when you came out of the womb and, and when you started uh, acquiring what you were gonna do with your life and you started following his path. He was proud of you. That's what it means. He, see, I was gonna entitle this message that we were made for his pleasure, but I, I thought some people would go, go a little crazy on that one. So I'll just say, we were designed to, to be with God. We were designed to worship God. And we start talking about purpose, you have to hit that point. Psalms 139, verse 13. This has become kind of my life verse, if, there, if there's ever been one. And, and if you have an analog Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up today because I want to read this and I would love for you to just underline a couple of these things and, and put yourself in the position that, that, that though David is writing this about himself and how God feels about him, that God very well may have written this for us thousands of years later to go, you know something, that's a promise that I can keep and I can make. Watch this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body in verse 13. 
and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Just stop right there for a second. That word could also be translated strange. Right? Or weird. Or maybe in our worlds we think flawed. It's been a common common thing that lots of people in our church know that I have battled over the years with depression and anxiety. And I used to make every excuse and I used to try to hide it from people. And I, I, would, I, would, I would, many times I would, I would hide it to the point it was a detriment to me. And I remember a few years ago, this passage right here came to life because all of a sudden I started realizing that God made me just the way I am for a purpose with a purpose and that he's gonna use those things. He's gonna use those frailties. He's gonna use that anxiety. He's gonna use that fear. And it's part of my story. And the world needs to hear that part of the story that you can still function as a believer in Jesus Christ and still battle anxiety, still battle fear, still battle depression, still battle problems, all that stuff. But it wasn't until that moment. I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody needs to hear this. You may battle something, you may an addiction, a fear, and anxiety. God still wants to use, as a matter of fact, he desires to use you in that moment. Your story will help somebody else uh, start to do, uh, reclaim their story back. So it goes in Psalm 139, it says, thank you for making me so, so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I have woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. Watch this. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, what you brought onto this place, but that Speak Jesus song that we were just singing, that was all over us today. I don't know what kind of anxiety is or kind of fear or problems or struggles or marital issues or whatever it is. Start speaking in the name of Jesus over and watch what happens. He is more concerned about that situation than you. He loves you like more than anybody else in the world could love you. And here's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And I want to break it down even more today. Our purpose is to make Jesus famous and take care of people. In short, it's this, love God and love people. Love the people around us. And so how do we do that? We looked at last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher says, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Stop right there for a second, because that's really where we're going to lay. And I want you to underline that. It says, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, the entire law. And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Today, we're going to talk about the A part of that. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the B part of that. But there's a word that describes that kind of love. When it says, love the Lord your God, ever, ever thought about what does that lo- look like? What, is, what does loving God really look like? What's it look like? What does it say? It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and on your mind. How do we do that? And, and, I, and I was thinking about this because that key word that describes love is the word worship. And you want to know something? I don't think we understand worship in the modern culture. Because we have a vivid picture. A lot of us have a vivid picture of what worship looks like. And, and a lot of times it looks like this. You know, it's the face that looks like you're, you're, you know, do they have gas or constipation? Right? Or, or maybe some people it looks like maybe bending on a knee or whatever. But that's only part and partial of what worship really is. 
Worship can't be defined. It's one of millions of things. And, and so many times in our modern culture, we've made worship to be just what we did. We sing a few songs, we raise our hands, we maybe pray a prayer, maybe we read a passive scripture, and that's what worship is. But it, there's so much more to what worship is. It, 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 it's, it, it's interesting to me because I've been looking for a passive scripture over the last three weeks to describe what worship is. And it was there all along. And I just, I wasn't even paying attention, but it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse one. This is what it says. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he's done for you, I want you to underline that. And let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. That's what worship is. Worship is my response to God's love that God gave to me and I give. And it says, there's two, because all he's done for me, all the things, think about that for a second, all the things that he's done for you. I mean, there, there's so many that you can't even count them. A lot of us could, could literally be looking at Psalms 139 when David's writing that, like, look at all the ways you've done this. And we could fill up pages and pages and pages of the way God has been good to us. And then the response is this, because of all the things he's done for me, I give. I give, I give freely of my, my time and my talent and my treasures. Now, here's what we need to understand. We need to understand what does that really mean? And how do I find my purpose through worship? Because I believe that's where we can find our purpose. In worship, when we're, when we're really pouring our heart, when we're really giving to God, when we're understanding all he's done, that's what happens. And here's what I've learned. Worship is giving back to God. And some of you are going, well, 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 hold on a second. Like, how many, anybody know somebody that's hard to buy a gift for? Raise your hand. So my wife, it drives her nuts. She was like, I can't buy a gift for you. You buy everything for yourself. And it's true. And the reason I do is because I want what I want. And I'm the only one who knows what I want. And so I buy it. Now, there's other people. But here's the deal. Do you ever think about what do you get for God? He's got everything. He's created the whole entire world. I mean, everything is in the palm of his hand. We're created, the earth's created, every animal's created. So how do you buy a present? What do you give to God? It's simple. You give him you. You give him your very best. You give him your life. Mark chapter 12 says it like this. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Now stop for a second, because we blow through those things and go, yay, that was so good, Pastor Bobby, we're going to do that. But what does that really mean? The first thing it means is that God wants us to live for him passionately with all of our heart and all of our soul. You know what that means? We don't become the church that's found in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea, because the Bible says they were neither hot nor cold, and he was about to spew them out of their mouth. And I'm afraid that that's what the modern church has become. We kind of put our hour in, we check the box, we maybe tithe, we get involved in an engaged weekend, and we don't live the other six days of the week for Jesus. And God says, I want you to give me everything. I want it passionately. And then he says, thoughtfully. How many times in our lives have we done stuff without any thought? We just, no intentionality. And, and what it means when, when, he, when he talks about the love him with your mind, it means that the choices we make, the, the daily activities, we do it with intentionality. We give with intentionality. We serve with intentionality. We go to church with intentionality. We do everything. And then practically, he says, love me with your, all your strength. That means we, we use our abilities, our gifts that God's given us to, to worship him. So that there, it's, it's, it's this, this broad spectrum of what worship and what God, God wants from us, which kind of leads me to the kind of the next portion of this. Worship is also 
focusing my attention on God, not just giving to God, but focusing my attention. And I'm going to ask an honest question. How many people have ever put their prayer life into autopilot? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I've gotten to the point in times of my life that, that I have gotten ready to pray, and life is crazy. Anybody else, life's crazy? And I end up praying for my food instead of praying for the day. Like, I'm, there's no food, and there's no plate in front of me, but thank you, Lord, for this food. Uh, no, we're not praying for that right now. And we just go into autopilot. Do you feel like that honors God when we go into autopilot? Is that giving him our deepest attention? Is that giving him, hey, okay, how many people remember when they first fell in love? Anybody? For some of you, it was a long time ago. Many, many moons, right? The first time you fell in love. Man, you couldn't get your mind off it. That sixth grade girl across the way, ching, ching. You send her the little note, right? Do you like me? Check yes or no. Nobody else, just me. You're a bunch of lying dogs. (laughs) Everybody stopped putting their hands up. You got the no, didn't you? But you remember what happened like that morning? And then, and, and then you, go, you go through your classes and you can't even concentrate on math. You're just thinking about, mm, that's the girl I'm going to marry as soon as I get out of high school. Right? All throughout the day, that night, all you could think about is that. That's attention. I have guys all the time walk in my office. And guys, we're the worst at it. Okay, can we just say this? We're the worst at it. I have guys walk in and say, I, I love my wife. I love my, I love my kids. Well, how do, you, how do you show? I go to work every day. I bring home a paycheck every day. Women, how, how, how far does that go? Not very far, does it? And so it's one of those deals where the guy says to me, just this past week, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I said, you're not giving any attention. I, I am giving attention. I bring a paycheck. No, you're not bringing any, you're not giving any attention. Well, how do you think God feels? The Bible says that God's a jealous God. It means he wants our attention. He wants our, our, he wants our, our best every day of our lives. And so many times, you know what happens? The Bible says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other stuff plays out. But you know what we do? We do all the other stuff and then we seek God somewhere down here. What would happen? How would it change our lives if we gave God our attention? Psalm 139 verse one. This is how God sees us. This is the attention that God gives us. Oh Lord, You have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Man, what would happen if we did did that? But here's our problem, okay? Let's have a mass confessional today. Our attention is easily swayed. No? I I lose focus like that. And I'm going to tell you why we lose focus because we're self-centered. It's all about us. It's, it's all about us. Everything in this world is about us. And the thought to give God a little bit extra or give him our attention goes against everything that we're taught from the time we're looking. Listen, do y'all remember when you were a kid? That's my toy. That's my toy. That's my, and we get older and then it's, that's my toy. And it's just bigger and more shiny. That's my toy. That's my toy. Everything's about us. And we live in a self-centered culture that actually applauds that. Be yourself. Be yourself. You deserve this. You get what you deserve. Think about that for a second. So in that process, what happens? God doesn't get our attention. Romans chapter 12 tells us and warns us about that mentality. It says this in verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, 
which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to have a transformation of our mind that we don't look at it that way. We look at it like God's first and everything else is second. How do we do that? I'm gonna give you three words and I'll explain them. Here's the first word and the second one and third. Time, place, and consistency, okay? Time, just a few minutes a day. I'm so busy. If you're too busy to pray, you're way too busy. Like, so one of the things that I realized that I have multiple times during the course of my day that I can peel out and do something. Now, some people, I pray in the car. Anybody else pray in the car besides me? Okay, I pray in the car. If you ever drive up past me and I'm talking to myself, I may be talking to myself or I may be talking with God, okay? So just leave me alone. But I I have a 15, 14-minute ride from where I live to here every morning. And I used to listen to sports radio, ESPN radio. I'd get the scores from the weekend, all the baseball, you know, what the Braves did, what the dogs did, all that kind of stuff, which usually wins. So it's really good. It's easy. It's real quick. So, but a a couple years ago, when we just got back from COVID, I decided I'm going to make the most of that time. I have 14 minutes this way, 14 minutes that way. And so what I started doing is I do, I'm doing uh, the Bible in a year, listening to it, audio. And so I turn it on and usually about, about halfway, I'm done. And then all of a sudden, I just start talking to God. And you know what I realized? That's 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 minutes. And then when I'm doing a hospital visit, I'm praying. And you know what starts to happen? That time, that little five minute is now turned out, I'm talking to God all the time. And listen, that doesn't make me super spiritual, but it, 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 it's, a, it's a priority in my life. So time, place, find a place. Some people go like, and, and I, I've heard preachers like, yeah, that's not the place. Man, if it's in the woods, get in a deer stand. Find, find Jesus in a deer stand. For me, I like sitting next to a tree in the springtime and hearing turkeys gobble and talking to Jesus. For me, like we kind of made it a joke around this place. It's not that funny anymore because it's actually became a place where God moves more than, and I have people all the time now saying, hey, I need you to go spend some time next to your boat. Because what happens next to my boat is I pray for people and I'm diligent in my prayers. And I'm telling you, when my elbows hit the side of that boat, all of a sudden God starts to move. Find a place and then consistency. And that's where a lot of us struggle. Like, well, like first of the year, January 1st, we're going to start a prayer, whatever. And you pray for the first day and you realize I ran out of things to pray for. Right? Anybody? Like all of a sudden, like, well, maybe it's not supposed to be about a punch list. Maybe it's just talking with God. Maybe, maybe what we need to do is just be thanking God and asking God instead of telling God what we want. And so make it a consistency. So time, make some time for it, right? Uh, figure it out, peel, peel that out, a place, and then some consistency. This is what Matthew chapter 6, 6 says. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will, re- will reward you. Then it says in Psalms 105, uh, verse 4, search for the Lord and for his strength, continually seek him. And I'll tell you what happens when I pray. I I was going to give you another one, have perspective. But let me what? When I'm praying to God, my perspective changes. Because so many times what happens, I go into it, I'm focused on all the things that are bad. Worry, insecurity, anxiety, guilt, fear, discouragement, disillusionment. Anybody else know some of those words? All right. But what happens when I start to pray and I start to put my focus on God and not on me, what starts to happen is I start to have all kinds of other things. I'm filled with gratitude all of a sudden. I'm filled with hope all of a sudden. I have a confidence that I've never had before. And then all of a sudden, love permeates. So anybody ever read the passage that talks about salt losing its saltiness and it says it's lost and it'd be just thrown out on the ground? I call it this. What happens when we're not focused on the right things? We lose our savor factor. We lose our saltiness. 
And what'll happen is you start yelling at everybody. You're yelling at the lady at the, at the public store. And so what's happened a lot of times when we're not focused on the things we need to be focused on, we lose our savor factor. We lose, and so we're, we're good for nothing, the scripture says. So that's, that's here, give me another one, right? Ready? Worship is using my abilities for God. It's using what I have. So many times in, in our lives, we, we look at stuff and we think, how many people know, so who's married? Raise your hand. I don't care about the next, I was happily married. We'll just go that one later, okay? <laughs> married, right? So one of the things that I do, Michelle, I do it every morning. I look at my wife and, and I bring her a cup of coffee just about every morning and I kiss my wife and I tell her I love her. And then I kiss my dog and I tell her I love her. <laughs> don't mix the order up. Just telling you, there's, there's some good counseling right there, right? So how many people know that that is not enough in a marriage? Okay, just making sure we're all on the same sheet of music. What I've learned is, is I've got to have action behind my words. You know what that means? That means sometimes it's a chore. I didn't realize this until this year. When I do stuff around the house, my wife loves me more. I've been taking empty trash cans out for the last two weeks. Just, <laughs> baby, you don't even have to ask me to take the trash back. I got it. Got it. Hey, unfortunately, I also have, a, like, I tally those things up, you know. I'm just kidding. you. I don't do that. But what I found out is that when I do, that's the same with God. Like, some of you are going, well, I'm not saved by works. You're not saved by works. I get that. But I'm going to tell you what, you do it because you love Jesus. You want to do those certain things. You want to, you, you, you want to show them how. And that's what's Colossians. We read it last week. It says this. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord, as, as you were like literally working for God. We, we, the problem is we compartmentalize everything in our lives. I mean, our, a lot of, so we have our, our work life over here. We have our relational life over here. We have our hobbies. We have our kids. And then all of a sudden we have our worship way over here. And a lot of us think that worship is only an hour a week. Everything I just said is worship. How we spend time with our family, what we do with our kids, how we honor God in our workplace, how we're on the golf course. <clears throat> no amens to that, huh? Oh, you said thank you, brother. <laughs> Amen. How we, everything we do, but we, 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 we just can't, we can't, we can't compartmentalize all these things in our lives. I believe that some of the greatest worship experiences I've ever had has been in the mundane, has been in the things that nobody else saw. It's just the things that I've done with the Heavenly Father. I believe we can find ways to worship in everything we do which leads me to this. Worship is expressing my affections to God. Now, I'm going to say this, and I've got a couple friends that are good friends of mine. Men, we have a really hard time showing our affection, don't we? Nobody. Okay, perfect. I got a friend of mine that I have to intentionally tell him all the time, I love you. And at first, it was really quirky. Like he was like, eh. but he told me this. He said, my mom, my, mom, my mom and dad never told me they loved me. And I was like, well, how are we supposed to translate? How, do, how, how are we supposed to tell God when we don't even, like, 
on this side of eternity, we don't even understand how to do it. Do, 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 you, do you remember, anybody remember the first time you told somebody you loved them? Anybody remember? Probably sixth grade. It was after you had the little note. Do you remember the feeling that you had? Your palms got sweaty, right? You had this lump in your throat. Like your stomach started churning, right? You know why? Because it was a risk. They may not reciprocate. They may not say, I love you back. You were, you were hanging yourself out there. You're going, listen, I'm putting myself out there. I'm going to be vulnerable in this moment. And so that's maybe why we struggle so much. But I'm going to tell you this. There's no risk involved when it comes to God telling him you love him. He's already made the first step. He's already done the first thing. He's already died on the cross for us. He showed us while we were yet sinners how much he loved us. He takes all the risk out of it. All the risk that would ever be in that process of saying I love you is gone at that point. You know what he did? He took the risk out when he created you. He took the risk out because he takes care of you. Even when you didn't know him, he was taking the risk out. Listen, listen. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. He took the risk out. He prepares a place in heaven for us. He takes the risk out. He took all the risk out. He showed us love in the very best way you can show, by laying down his life for us. And all he asked is for me to express my affection for him. I I love the way Hosea 6, 6 says it. We've been reading uh, the book of Hosea and our staff, and it's a dicey book. Pick it up sometime. Or better yet, maybe we'll do a series here on Hosea and just embarrass everybody. But I found this passage in Hosea 6, 6. It says, I want to show you love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. You know what that's saying? He wants us to tell him how much we love him. Not just by the sacrifice we say we do, not by the tithe check we get or the service that we provide. He wants to hear it from our mouths. Wednesday was my wife's birthday. She turned 25. I'm telling you. That's why I stayed married. One of the things I love doing for my wife is I love, I love buying my wife flowers. The people at Publix, just about every Monday I go in there, hey, Pastor Bobby, you getting flowers for your wife? And it's like, unless I tell you otherwise, there's nobody else I'm buying flowers for, I promise. So, I, I, But what if I, I walked in with that dozen roses I got her Wednesday for her birthday and I handed them to her and I said, here's your flowers. And she said, why did you get these for me? Because that's what husbands do. I feel like it's my obligation, my obligation to do it. I, I, that's what we do. That's what guys do on their on spouses. But we, we're obligated to get a card and flowers, right? None of the guys are ba- being baited right now. They're like, I'm not just saying a word. How, how would Gina feel if it was out of duty and obligation? Horrible, right? But what if, what if it's out of desire? And I desire to be closer to you. And I love you with everything that's in me. And these flowers are just a small 
petty reflection of what's going on in the inside. And I want to give you, I want to give you my very best. What's happening later that afternoon? We're going to have dinner together. That's what I meant. We're going to have dinner together. I'll need to get your minds out of the gutter. <laughs> that, that's what God wants from us. He doesn't want our love out of duty. He doesn't want us to be guilted into it by a preacher. He wants it to be a desire of our hearts that we want to be with him. I, I would do something a little different today. Um, when you walked in, you were given um, styrofoam and um, fermented whatever. <laughs> Jesus hung out with his disciples. This is what he said. He said, anytime you get together, do this in remembrance of me. And I don't think there's anything that drives us back to what true worship is. Then we go back and go, okay, now I understand why you did what you did. And, and you died on the cross for me. You did for me what I couldn't do for myself. So I want y'all to stand up with me. And Greg and, and Matt are gonna lead us in another song. It's turned out to be one of my favorite songs. And there's one line that, it's in it that every time I sing it, man, I just get it right here. And it talks about, I throw out my hands and it says, I have nothing else fit for a king. I have nothing. I can't really give him anything that he doesn't already have, but what he wants and desires most is me. And so during this time, whenever you feel like it's appropriate to respond, whenever you're at that point where you go, you know something, God, thank you. I want to say thank you. I want to, I want to, I want to participate in worshiping you. Know, just take your elements out, put them in your mouth. Say, God, thank you for all the things that you've done for me. And this is why I worship you. Before we do that, I want to pray though. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I hope, I hope we did service to your holy living scripture. God, and we can laugh, we can do all that stuff, but purpose is found when I realized why I was put on this earth, and that was for your pleasure. To worship you, to tell you how big you are, and tell the world how big you are and what you've done in my life. So over the next several moments, God, would you gently remind us who you are, what you desire from us, and how this would impact the world that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.